Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm back to the church again, videotaping this week, and I'm happy to be back in my routine, even though I'm not in the library, uh, because it's still a little hot in there, but soon I'll go back to doing it in the library, I think. Um, so we're in the third chapter of Philippians this morning, and continuing with the letter that Paul has written to the church of the Philippians. And um, our lesson begins on uh, chapter 3, verse 8, but I want to summarize the first part of that chapter before we go to verse 8. So Paul has in the last chapter, the last thing that he was talking about was Timothy and Epaphroditus were going to come to them and he was sending them and so that they could see that Epaphroditus was better and all of that. And so at the beginning of chapter 3, the very first word he says is, Finally, my brethren. So if you're writing a letter... And you say, finally, in my mind, that means that you have already covered the, the real point of why you were writing the letter. And then now these are final thoughts. Though, Paul says, finally, and then he does another two chapters. So really, he was only halfway through. But I feel that he's already covered the main purpose for his letter and so we if we think for a moment what would have been the main purpose for his letter was to uh, greet them and to uh, you know explain why he was sending Timothy and Epaphroditus so those those I think those were the two main points though he had also covered uh you know, updating them on his condition in prison and how that was going for him. And he had talked about having the mind of Christ, you know, that part. Um, but I think, you know, the main purpose of it being a letter, his main purpose then was to, you know, those other things maybe. And then the rest of it was just some teaching that was in there because these were things he did want to uh, share with them. And so now we're, and now he says, finally. Um, and he begins to talk about beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now there was a, a group of people called the Judaizers, and they had become Christians but yet they were trying to stick to the Jewish law in the sense of making those people who became Christians follow uh, the, the, um, the practice of circumcision. And so Gentiles who were being saved were you know, they felt that those Gentiles should also be circumcised. 
and they should also follow the food laws where maybe in the past those Gentiles had eaten pork or something like that. Then they, now that they're saved, they should follow the Jewish uh, regulations about food. And so um, he's, he's referring to the Judaizers, I think, when he speaks of beware of the false circumcision. And um, particularly on that point, you know, was the, was the problem with the Judaizers. And so going down from there then, he talks about we are the true circumcision, those who follow Jesus. Um, and... You know, it, it goes into, I mean, I've heard sermons on the, the true circumcision and things like that, but basically the circumcision was a ritual that they did to show that they were followers of God. And so Christians, having been... Um, having our hearts been cleansed by Jesus, our hearts are circumcised. The bad parts are cut away or gone because of Jesus. And um, so we, Paul, when Paul says we are the true circumcision, and then he goes on further in verses um, 4 to 6, talking about, his qualifications and, and what he's what he's getting at is if there was something that you could do to be a Christian or to be a good Christian then I ought to be very well qualified for for being a qualified person I mean not that he was qualified as a Christian per se but he, here are his qualifications um he says, I'm going to read it from him because it's a better explanation than what I'm giving. Starting in verse 4, uh, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecutor of the church as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless so what he's saying is if there was a way to please God by your human efforts I ought to have pleased God very well because I did everything according to the law I was a Pharisee I was blameless before the law I was zealous not only that, I have this heritage of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just as you're supposed to be done. So, you know, he was saying that was not enough. These things, that all of my qualifications before God were not enough. And so then... Um, we get down to our lesson, which starts in verses 8 and 9. And just before that, in verse 7, he says, 
whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So all of those qualifications were nothing to him um, for the sake of Christ. Now let's read verses 8 and 9. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So, Paul says here, the most important thing, he counts all of those qualifications as nothing or as uh, rubbish, he says. But the thing that he counts as valuable is the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord so this is the valuable thing that Paul has found and nothing else matters to him because of this thing that he knows and he has learned and knows that this is the most valuable thing and then he goes on to reiterate you know not having a righteousness derived from the law as he had tried to do in the past, that was where his righteousness came from, was his zealous following of the law as a Pharisee and his zealous persecution of the church based on that and, and all of that. And then he talks about the righteousness um, which comes from God on the basis of faith. And that is the only way to have righteousness is in Christ. He, he says that, in Christ on the basis of faith. And nothing else that we do matters. And we can make a modern day application of that because knowing Christ is the thing. And beyond that, anything we do, even at the church, or uh, in any other way, being as kind as we can to other people, or being benevolent, donating a million dollars to charity, or whatever. None of those things makes us righteous. It is only knowing Jesus uh, through faith that gives us a chance, you know, or, or makes us righteous because Jesus makes us righteous. And beyond that, all those other things are really rubbish in a way. Not saying that we should not do them. All of, all of those good things are good things. But you also see um, certain religions or denominations who would try to add other things that you should do to be saved. Um, you know, a works-based salvation that uh, you must, um, you know, 
do these things and here's the list and you know or don't do the do's and the don't do's in order to be saved and you know it you have a chance then of not being saved if you don't do all of these things that we've said and so um, we you know we see that in in some uh, some groups okay let's go on to verses 10 and 11 now so th he, this is kind of the second part of, of a long sentence. Paul has a way of making some very long sentences. So I'm just going to pick up on 10 and go with it. That I may know him, talking about um, Jesus' faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Um, so in this part, Paul is listing some of the ways that he um, wants to know Jesus, I guess you might say, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection Paul you know focuses on that as a a thing to know from Jesus and to share in hopefully the power of his resurrection to fellowship in his sufferings because Paul was suffering for the sake of Christ and he did not count that as something bad that had happened to him he counted it as a fellowship with Christ in the sufferings that Christ had suffered. And then, um, lost my place, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so he knew, maybe he foresaw that he was going to die as a martyr or, you know, because of his circumstance. And yet, um, you know, he had this hope as a goal of attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Or, And, you know, when Christ returns. And so, let's go on now to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but that I press, oh, I'm sorry, I've gone to verse, uh, yeah, that's right, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So this is important now that we understand this part right here because when he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. So when he refers to the it, he's talking about, you know, the righteousness that comes through Jesus and uh, or have already become perfect, he says. And it's important for us to understand that there's a division here between 
salvation and uh, sanctification or being made righteous by the process of discipleship that we go through. And so, you know, we are, as Christians, as those who have accepted Christ, we are, we then enter a process of discipleship. We're not, we're not a, a perfect Christian. Well, no one is a perfect Christian, are we? But we are not, I mean, we may have some very rough edges when we first become a Christian. There are things that we still need to lay down from the previous life and pick up those things of Jesus. And for some people more than others, I guess, you know, some people may have been attending church for a long time and trying to do the things uh, that they had learned before they actually realized that they must accept Christ as their Savior. But others may be saved out of a life of, of who knows what, you know, really bad things. And so when we become a Christian, we then on day one, we enter a time of sanctification or being made uh, as Jesus wants us to be, being made as the new man. And that takes some time for some people and for everyone. I mean, we do that until the end of our lives. You know, we are constantly and hopefully improving rather than just sitting and saying, okay, I reached this level and that's all I'm going to do. And the rest of it is still mine. And I'm not going to give that over to God. That's the other choice. But it says, um, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So in other words, he's working, we talked about uh, before, working out your salvation. He's working out his salvation. He's doing the things uh, that Jesus has for him to do because he was laid hold of by Christ. So... There, the salvation is when you are laid hold of by Christ. Christ takes hold of you as you through faith are saved. And he's not going to let you go. Um, and then from there, you begin this process of learning how to be a, a disciple of Christ. And so that's, that's a very important point. And this scripture, you know, gets a little a little misconstrued at times by people who would like to say um look at Paul he was um he was still working on his salvation and that's not really you know that's not really the interpretation of it and so very important when you have a discussion with other people you know that you don't get drawn into saying to agreeing or to saying that, yeah, you know, not only could you work enough to gain your salvation, but then you could do some bad things and lose your salvation. That's the flip side of that coin. Okay, let's go on to verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So now Paul is describing himself as working toward a goal. And that goal is the upward call of Christ Jesus. When he will be called up to be with Jesus. And we should have that attitude of of working toward that goal that we should always be trying to improve ourselves as Christians. And a part of the way we do that is studying the Bible, attending church, hearing ideas from other Christians in those discussions about what is good and what is the way that we should live and things that we should not do in our attitudes and all of those things that you get from fellowship with other Christians. You know, I've said before, if you are, if all the opinions you get are from yourself, then you're not going to move forward, are you? Because you're going to tell yourself that all your opinions are good because <laughs> they're coming from you. Um, and so it's important for us to have fellowship with other Christians, to challenge each other, you know, to hear a testimony from another person and to say, wow, you know, I need to work on that myself. Um, okay, now let's go to uh, the next verses, 15 and 16. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, in verse 15 there, he said... Uh, let us therefore as many as are perfect another interpretation of that word is mature so something that has like a fruit that is ripe or it has become mature that's the word that Paul was using there so as many as are perfect and because none of us are perfect outside of Christ and what he has perfected in us you know even as as hard as we try I mean let's take the example of Billy Graham he was you know just wonderful but I'm sure that even Billy Graham was not perfect he had a stray thought that he shouldn't have had or an attitude you know that he shouldn't have had about a person or something there was something there but he was certainly an example of someone who was working toward uh, the goal as Paul was doing, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he says, as many of us as are perfect, let us have this same attitude. So as many of us as are mature, or as we mature, let's be sure that we have this attitude that we're working towards something. And he says, if anybody has a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. Because there are some people who have just become Christians or have never progressed in their Christian walk that haven't caught that vision of where we're headed and what we, why we do the things we do in the way that we do them. And that comes with maturity and with um, progress in the Christian walk. And so 
he says, you know, God will reveal that to you. And I think that is the attitude we should have toward those people. If they have not matured, we should not ostracize them because they've not matured. We should encourage them in their Christian walk in whatever way that we can. And some people can be very immature and be Christians and uh, get some very twisted ideas at times. But we as Christians who have been Christians for a long time, we should not ostracize them. We should encourage them and help them, as Clint always says, to move one step closer to where they should be, you know, if possible. Okay, now let's see. I think, uh, no, that we're going on verses 17 to 19 now. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And now here in this part, I think he's referring again to the Judaizers that we talked about. And one of the things he says is, uh, whose God is their appetite. I think in your book it says, uh, their God is their stomach. You know, I wondered when I was reading this, and I don't have the answer, if the Judaizers, those who were saying, oh, well, all the Gentiles have to be circumcised also, some of them may have been involved in the activity of circumcising, if that makes sense. That that, that had become a, a way to get money, let's say, a, a job for us to circumcise all the Gentiles, you know, that we get paid a fee for doing that or whatever. I wondered if that may be why Paul put this in there because uh, it would fit. But who knows? I mean, we don't know if that if that were the case. But nevertheless, um, what he says here is a little bit awkward if you just read it in from our perspective, where he says, "Follow my example." You know, I would never, <laughs> I would never say. I'm holding myself up as an example for people to follow. My goodness, uh, please, please don't follow my example. Please follow the example of Jesus. But, you know, I, I don't think we have to take it in the perspective that Paul was in and, and the, the situation that he was in, not, not meaning that he thought he was all that, you know, but rather he was trying to give churches an example to follow of how to follow Jesus and the ways that they, the attitudes that they should have and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, it always feels a little awkward to me, though, when he says, follow my example. Um, but then he speaks of these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, if you are trying to add other things to the salvation process, if you're saying to be saved, you must follow Christ 
and do these things, then that would make you opposed to the cross of Christ being enough for salvation. And so that's why he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. And now um, I've, I'm running out of time, so I could go on and on about all this. It's very interesting uh, to me and hopefully a little bit to you also. Let's read verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So, you know, it's important for us to be reminded that our citizenship and the place that we should fit in is in heaven. We don't necessarily, uh, we should not be trying to conform ourselves to the world and fit in in the world and do the things that the world does because our citizenship and where we belong, our home country is heaven and with Jesus when we are Christians. And we should be working to be a good citizen of that nation, which is the nation of believers uh, who will go to be with Christ. And he says we are waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are. And we still are. And we should have that attitude. So this is a good reminder for us about discipleship and following Jesus and how we should live. And we can take so many lessons from this. Um, but we'll stop for there so that I won't go way over time. And next week, we'll be going into chapter 4 of Philippians. And so read ahead, and then we'll be ready to cover chapter 4 together. Thank you for being with me. I hope you have a great week.